You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everybody. Joe Gavallis back with the Safe Senior uh, Hour, and um, we're glad you could join us today. Today we have uh, two special guests, one a returnee and one a new a, a new guest. Uh, our returnee is uh, Jason Marbid, who's the Assistant District Attorney in the Cobb Judicial District. And Jason, um, I'll brag on him, he's probably the uh, preeminent, uh, uh, if not the one of the top three, and certainly in Georgia, if not in the southeast, fighting elder abuse by through his uh, uh, prosecutorial actions, but also through his educational uh uh, commitment and and Jason, we appreciate you here. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Thanks and for having me. Let you introduce your 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 <laughs> investigator. This is uh, I like to tell, uh, say uh, the other half of my brain in the uh, DA's office. This is uh, Kemi Saza. Uh, she and I have worked together in the Cobb Elder Abuse uh, or the, the the Elder Abuse Unit in Cobb um, since 2012. So seven years, and and she has. Um, been my right-hand person, my right hand as we prosecute these cases. She is an investigator in the DA's office. She's post-certified, which means um, she can uh, she carries uh, the badge and the gun, and she's my bullet shield. I'm just, <laughs> she, I, as you hear her laugh, but I, um, I couldn't do what I do without her. But thank you for coming, Kim, and Absolutely. we appreciate it, and, and we'll, have a, we'll have a good conversation today about uh, various aspects of, of elder abuse and just some things that we, we always start the shows off with. One, elder abuse doesn't report itself. we got to remember that. That's why we do these shows, the ed- to educate the public uh, all over the country and all over the world. I know this goes all over the world, and I have seen comments from uh, outside the United States that went to various people, and I know they're out there listening. So this is, a, a univer- unfortunately, a universal issue that affects everybody. The other point, we talk about... Um, three types of uh, elder abuse, one being uh, physical, the other being financial, and the third institutional. And uh, we'll have the opportunity to to talk to our guests because I think they've done all types of those cases. They just don't specialize in one or the other. Elder abuse just needs to be prosecuted, whatever form it is. So um, the uh, other point is that um, this... uh, fight against uh, uh, elder abuse is is gaining momentum. We have more and more people uh, coming to our senior seminars, and we have more and more law enforcement regulatory people coming to be trained. Unfortunately, in this day and age, uh, just with budget cuts, that everybody is very thin on, on, on manpower. So we all have to come together, and, and that's why we have law enforcement regulatory meetings. So with that, uh, Jason, if you could just give us some, some ideas about how long you've been doing this for the people who missed you the first time and uh, some of the a- aspects of, uh, of, of your job. Sure, Joe. Um, I've been a prosecutor for 15 years, and I certainly have um, seen elder abuse cases uh, throughout the course of that career, but in early teens, maybe 2012, 2013, around that time period, um, I had a, a, a boss who I think was um, very wise in, in, in the ways of, of organization and recognized um, that we needed to have some specialists in this area. And that was about the time that um, the elder abuse unit uh, was created in Cobb. And, and I have been working um, as an expert in that area. I think I say as an expert um your boss comes to you and says, we need an expert. You're going to be that person. <laughs> um, and, and largely because I had done a few cases and had a few cases. Uh, and so I've really been working very hard to learn and um, uh, improve. Um, what I discovered and what we discovered as we began that process um, is that um, we needed to to break down a lot of silos. Uh, we needed to um, start reaching out and creating multidisciplinary task forces between different agencies that they're um, is this rise in burgeoning problem? Um, we are, uh, I think, um, light years ahead of where other folks are around the state in our county in doing so. Well, we have, uh, I, I 
printed just a couple of statistics. Um, we've started tracking statistics. That's not something that we even necessarily were doing very well around that time period. But um, in working with Adult Protective Services, if they investigate a case, they will substantiate or unsubstantiate, which means they couldn't find enough evidence to believe that there was um, any abuse, neglect, or exploitation. But um, since August of 2017 through today, there have been, in Cobb County, 368 substantiated reports of abuse, neglect, and exploitation. And, of course, you wisely point out that um, if you have abuse, that doesn't um, happen in isolation. If you have abuse, there's usually exploitation with it. If you have neglect, there's usually one or two. So there's overlap amongst those. Um, But we've been working very hard to identify those cases and work in the community uh, to uh, have partnerships and forge partnerships so that we are not allowing things to um, fall through the cracks. Right. For, for our audience, um, we use, I mean, it's used throughout the United States, but I'm sure in every country there is something similar that you talk adult protective services. They're more of a, you want to explain the difference between what law enforcement and their duties are. So they... Um, have, there's some overlap, obviously. They are a regulatory agency in, in many respects, but they are a state agency that who they have investigators that work throughout the state, whereas I work in a single judicial circuit here in the state. Um, Adult Protective Services, if somebody believes that there is a, um, a, a abuse, neglect, or exploitation, if they believe that a, a senior is in harm's way, then you would make that report. And, in fact, we have many mandated reporters, people who, by law, are required to report. If you're a caretaker in a nursing home, if you are, um, we've now added um, financial institutions. But they would make their report to to APS. The uh, and, and It came in there, too, being from the investigative side and uh, kind of partial investigators since I'm a retired federal mm-hmm. agent that – investigate but it's a teamwork now it's no not everybody work on their own do we have some examples that for the for the listeners out there things that if they see they should be reported in georgia that to be reported i believe to both law enforcement and and adult protective but mm-hmm. some things that 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 should stand out that somebody should report well if you see an elderly person who might live alone and all of a sudden a younger person is maybe spending a lot of time with them and it, there's no real explanation of who this person is or why they're there. Um, a lot of times we see, I mean, we see, even see family members take advantage of their elderly grandparents and elderly aunts and uncles. That's not to say that everyone does, but you know, keep an eye on each other. Keep an eye on your neighbors. And, you know, it's really heartbreaking, but I see that family dysfunction often is a breeding ground for some other party to come in and exploit the division within the family and really get their hands on things that don't need to be their business. So, I mean, if I could urge people to, you know, sibling rivalry, grow up, be a decent human being, think about what's best for your elderly person your life that's special to you. Any um, want to add to that, Jason? I mean, I think what I would add is that um, exploitation is something that we have, those are the most cases. And when we talk about exploitation, we're really talking about the financial component. So I think that's probably why a little bit of um, what Kim's response turns towards, because we see those more than anything else. We're also concerned about the neglect cases. There is something that APS can do which law enforcement cannot, and that is self-neglect. So sometimes we have cases which are non-criminal because somebody is not um, meeting their own care needs, whether um, by choice or inability, Um, and Adult Protective Services can help with that as well. Um, And a lot of what we try and do with our investigations is figure out is that because somebody was responsible and is not living up to their responsibilities, or is that because... Somebody simply um, is choosing um, by their own right to self-determine uh, how they uh, care for themselves or don't care for themselves, uh, how to live. And, and those are difficult cases as well. Um, but again, I think we kind of come back to where I started this answer. And, and by and large, there is usually a financial component 
for all of these. Um, if it's an abuse case, there's usually there, there's abuse because there is some motivation for the money. If there's neglect, it's because they don't want to move them out of the home because they'll lose access to finances uh, and, and money. So that becomes a, a big piece of these cases. Right. As we talk about uh, financial abuse, um, as both our guests just mentioned, that is the number one prevalent abuse of, of the elderly. And the number one uh, perpetrators are family members, loved ones, somebody you, you trust, and they take advantage of the situation. Unfortunately, we're also saying, and, and let's just put a number, I've seen the number vary from 55% to 65%. It's that other 45, 30, or whatever percent it is left are the professionals that just prey on, on on elderly and other people, but, but the elderly have, are an easy target. Do you all want to address this? Because people are getting these phone calls or getting emails, uh, and we talk about in our, in, our, in our meetings. We have things such as romance scams and the grandparent scams and jury scams. Do you all just want to address that? Now, these are done by the professionals. These aren't your, your relatives. It, it, well, it's interesting. I think the, you're right to say that the statistics show that the vast majority of exploitation of the um, elderly or disabled comes from people who are in positions of trust. I think that encompasses caretakers and folks who come in to help. It's family members as well we talk about. Um, but when we go to talk to groups, and, and as you point out, we do lots of education. We go out to groups. The big ones that people want to know about are, well, well, I get that, but I don't think my son's stealing from me. I don't think this. <laughs> so they want to know what the scams are, the other folks to look out for. And we get those too. We have those. Um, the pine straw scam is a big one um, that, that we get. You mentioned the romance scam. Um, anything and everything where somebody can um, – I guess pressure someone into spending money or um, um, corner them. You know, so I, I, if you want me to give some examples of some of those scams, I want both of you too because I, t- I think you see it. You know, you see it firsthand because you guys get the calls. Um, you know, uh, I mean, go ahead because we'll, we'll when we move into our our, our second uh, uh, session um, after the break, we're going to go into some very specific details about different uh, different type cases, but. But your, your your comment about your, the loved ones and and the and the uh, caregivers and things, because the elderly have turned everything over to them through either a power of attorney, which we'll hopefully talk about, or they're just in their trust where they actually pay somebody to come in the house and take care of them. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely true. Um, the pine straw scam he mentioned is, I mean, we see that pretty regularly. People driving around offering to put pine straw down and nobody knows how much a bale of pine straw costs and they say oh you know two dollars a bale okay or how many bales it takes to fill your yard (laughs) and then they'll come back and be like okay you owe me five thousand dollars and like what how could that be well i have the strings right here this is how many i put down and and you feel pressure to pay them Uh, well i i think as we go through and it really hit me that as you go around and talk to the seniors uh, throughout, uh, we're fortunate we go out through all of North Georgia and speak to them. You know, there is no do- dollar amount that makes it worse for this person than the other person. I know a $500 scam to somebody, that's their life savings. And I've had that tell me, sure. that almost in tears, to a case that I know you all did in the county that was, what, $4 million, seven, I don't know, whatever it is. Uh, I was thinking of the Perkins case, which mm-hmm. is public. Um, and you all convicted that. So I think, uh, you know, somewhere in between. So when we say the uh, we talk about, you know, people might out there think the pine straw scam, that affects a lot of people. It's money. But with that, we're going to uh, take our break now and we'll be back in a minute and with our two guests to talk more about scams. Want to give your family or loved one the perfect gift? Then go online and check out the TornadoBodyDryer.com. I love mine and the warm heat air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it and you'll love having one in your shower. 
This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour, on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business professionals, business practices, and fascinating individuals to get an insider view of how America works, 10 to 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. This is America's Web Radio. Would you like to have a show, talk about your business, or express your opinion on America's Web Radio? Just email gm at americaswebradio.com and we'll get back to you. Thank you. Well, welcome back to the uh, second uh, uh, um, segment of uh, the Safe uh, Senior Hour. Um, Again, we're honored today. We have two guests um, from a neighboring uh, county here, Cobb County, which is, I think, the third or fourth biggest in the state of Georgia, metropolitan Atlanta. Um, And um, we've had one's a return guest. Jason Marbit, and uh, we have a new guest, Kimberly uh, Izaza, correct, right? We're yeah. an investigator with the <laughs> DA's office, and we're talking about uh, all aspects of elder abuse and how they see it from the investigative and the uh, prosecutorial area. And we're starting to talk in about some very specific uh, scams that we talked about. Again, remember, elder abuse doesn't report itself. So what I'd like to do is, before we get into and, and, and the very specific of the different types of scams and things they've seen, I'd like to them take, take the, as they just told me, a very good, good segue is life cycle of a case. How does it come in? What do you all do? What happens? Because not every case, I know when I was an agent, every case that you opened, you didn't, didn't end up in a conviction. But it's not that you didn't look at it. There were various reasons. So I'm going to turn it over to the pros here. So I think I might use the example we were kind of talking about, the Pine Straw scam. That's kind of a typical one. And let's talk about how that might, you know, um, make its way to us. Um, Let's assume that somebody has uh, that interaction in their yard and and they feel that maybe they wrote a check for $5,000. Um, if, if they're um, on their game, they're calling the police as the folks, as the, the, the perpetrators are driving to the bank to cash it. So you might, or they might be calling their bank first. So the first thing that you're going to have is a report. Somebody's got to report it before law enforcement and, and or anybody. Let me just say that. And a lot of times that starts with a knock on your door, right? Uh, right. They happen to be in the neighborhood. You never called them. You didn't. You didn't initiate it, right? Is that something you guys look yes. at? The, the, they'll have a trailer full of pine straw, and they'll say your yard looks like it could need it, and 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 they're putting it out. And then now you've got that dispute over money, and you feel maybe now there's um, when they're asking for the check, there's like four guys standing there at your doorway saying you owe us, pay this, and they're speaking in a really angry voice. And so a lot of folks. Kind of, you know, they feel intimidated. They write that check. Right. So then, now somebody's got to tell us. And and it, it, it the in the best instances, right, the ones where we've actually been able to usually catch somebody and prosecute somebody is it's right there within the, the that same time frame before they get to the bank or maybe the bank calls and and because the bank, as I mentioned, are now mandated reporters. Mm-hmm. Maybe they recognize you um, because you've been to the bank a number of times. Um, you're a common customer, and they. Know, but whatever it is, somebody calls law enforcement. Investigation begins. They're going do their investigation first they are going to get adult protective services involved adult protective services um, will hopefully at least in our jurisdiction will kind of go out with law enforcement at the same time so that we're not doubling up interviews Um, but once they make a determination if they can identify the perp if they can identify the person who committed the crime then they will make an arrest, generate reports, and then it comes to us. And in our office, um, Kim's role is to take the 
uh, investigative file that comes from law enforcement. Um, she will fill a lot of the gaps. So, um, and, and she and I work very well. Um, been doing this a number of years. Um, one of the reasons I say she's the other half of my brain, and it's great to have somebody that you've worked with for that long, is she knows how I like to have the cases come to my desk. She's smiling. You can't see it over the radio. Um, I can be uh, very meticulous and demanding sometimes. Of, well, I want this and I want that. So she knows what I'm looking for. Um, and we make sure that we get that because my job as a prosecutor ultimately will be to draft the charges that would go to a grand jury or go to court um, and, and to prosecute the case and, and, and get a result. Um, but it doesn't end with, you know, we, that, that looks linear as we're, or I'm describing it. There's still going to be interaction with the victim and talking with them. So we have victim witness advocates who are in our unit who will coordinate and talk with them. Um, and then we'll, you know, if this is a pine straw scam, so we're talking about a singular thing. If we were talking about something more complex, like a neglect case where, okay, now we've got to figure out um, you haven't, uh, somebody hasn't been to the doctor in six months. Well, now we're going to try and get other folks involved of how, what do we need to do to get them transportation to the doctor? Where are they on terms of their medications? Have they been getting their medications? Um, obviously, that's not my role and expertise, but that's why we try and break down these silos and we will staff a case um, sometimes with what we've called, we've created a group called an MDT, multidisciplinary team. In Cobb, ours is the JEDI, um, Justice for Elderly and Disabled Individuals, MDT. Um, I, the people laugh at me, but I actually am proud of the fact that Kim, who is Yoda? <laughs> oh, you are Yoda, of course. Of course. <laughs> so I get to be Yoda for the Jedi MDT. Um, my kids will appreciate that, being you know the the fan that I am of sure. of, of that whatever. In any case, um, we will uh, talk as a group about um, the needs of the victim. Um, obviously, if there's going to be a prosecution, then we still deal in our silo. There's things that we can't do um, with other. As it comes to our agency, we're going to prosecute. Uh, and do what we have to do based upon the court system. But while that is going on, we APS or um, some nonprofit groups that we're involved with may try and reach out and figure out what are, what are the how do we problem solve for this person to make sure that um, their needs are addressed. Well, and again, I think uh, our listeners need to understand that as we talk, we're talking about a criminal case here. That's what you all do. You don't do civil cases. Correct. So, and, and again, you know. It's, it's almost like, you know, giving a, a quick law class, but everybody's got to remember, and if you could go through the difference between an administrative ruling to a civil a civil case that somebody brings to a criminal case, which you bring, and the ultimate big cases are the federal criminal cases that come out that are done by the federal, by the federal courts. So, you know, if it's uh, – I, I can talk about – the easiest thing to talk about the difference is the difference between the civil and the criminal. Okay. And sometimes people – think, well, we, we can't have, we can only have one or the other. And that's not true. So the, I do want the listeners to know you can have both at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and on occasion, that's, we get calls from civil attorneys, private attorneys who have called us and say, you know, I've got a client. Um, I, I think that they're, they've been taken advantage of. Can we open a criminal case? And of course, we'll send them to law enforcement to do the investigation. There is nothing that says you can't have the civil case and the criminal case traveling at the same time. Um, because a civil case is ultimately about a money recovery. So um, in a civil case, you're going to hire a civil attorney. They're going to sue someone, go to court, and get a judgment right. against them. We put people in prison. So the criminal case is it might have a restitution or an order of restitution, but there's a far cry difference from an order of restitution than the actual collection of the judgment, um, that is only a small piece of what we do. Our primary function in the criminal justice system is obviously that we we've um, we that's if somebody is convicted, there's going to be some sort of oversight, whether it's um, jail time or prison time, um, and some uh, maybe some probation time, depending upon how bad this is. And right. that's also something that we've tried to work on in Cobb is to make sure that we begin to recognize the importance of these cases. And jo- because I think for a number of years. Um, there was this attitude amongst law enforcement and prosecuting agencies that, oh, it's just money. Somebody, um, you know, you wrote a check for the pine straw. That's that's a civil. Go sue somebody because they said it was five thousand, and you're saying it's five hundred. That's that's civil. Y'all sort it out. And we've been working to shift that paradigm to recognize it's not. It, it it's both. It is civil and criminal at the same time. Well, I think we've got to remember here, and and, and we addressed on it earlier with with Kim's statement. 
it's very hard to get the information either from a mandated reporter or asked reporter, which could be be a whole slew of them in Georgia, and I think it, it, it differs wherever, whatever state differently, and I'm not sure about in these other countries, but the, the, the requirement of they might come to your attention, and yes, they might find out that yes, they have the check where some uh, grandson went in the back of the checkbook, took a check and cashed it for $5,000, mm-hmm. and was never given that authority, but when it comes to prosecute, you get uh, you get the the pushback by the by the victim. We do see that a lot. Right. Um, a lot of grandparents, particularly when they're relatives, they don't want to. They say ruin someone's life with a criminal charge, put someone in prison. But and a lot of these types of crimes are situational. When someone has happens to have access to an elderly person, but not all of them. Some people will continue to go on and find another elderly person to do this to. If or, they're not stopped. Right. Or go back and do it again and again and again. Right. The constant abuse. And that and that's just part of the education we tried to do. And it's hard. And it's hard in your jobs to go out. And I've heard prosecutors talk where you sat down there with investigators and try to convince somebody that, you know, this is for the betterment of, mm-hmm. of, of your grandson or your nephew. Right. Because if they did it here... Especially if you get multiple multiple times that they do it, mm-hmm. so I, it, it it's a hard job when it's some, when somebody doesn't really want to prosecute, and, and especially we've talked about other situations like romance scams when they think they're in love with somebody and they would never do this intentionally, but they did do it. So um, we have had women believe they are in love with this person they're sending money to. And tell us repeatedly, this is not a scam. This is real. I've never met this person. Um, I don't know where they live. <laughs> but this is real. And almost fight with us. Well, I think we talk about, and David talks about a lot, it's just people are lonely. A lot of, sure. and, and they get on the Internet, and they have this dialogue. They have a picture, and they'll... Although somebody will call out of the blue, and they'll just answer the phone. We tell them, don't answer a number you don't know, and they'll get talking to them. Mm-hmm. Because on the professional side, uh, it's a, it's, it's, they're, they're better than you are. I mean, they have a book, and they just follow a script. You, you know, Joe, it's interesting. Um, I always like to tell this story. I, I think um, people like to think that these sorts of scams happen to other people, not themselves. Uh, and I always tell the story of I've had a contractor before, and I'm I'm an educated person who is a criminal prosecutor, but I have had a contractor I've hired at my house before, and um, you know uh, we needed to buy the materials for the job, and I didn't have a truck, he had a truck, and it's like he was going to drive up to Home Depot, buy the materials, and come back and do the job, and I let him have my credit card, saying um, <laughs> you're going to buy the lumber or whatever it is, you're going to come right back. Um, and I'm going to get the receipt, so I'm going to know what you're going to do. And I'm like, the guy knows what I do, do for a living, so we're good. And and w- wouldn't you believe he put some other things on my credit card at Home Depot that were not part of the contract? I'm a highly educated person. It happened to me. Um, and I think that other people think, oh, it can't happen. It can happen to anybody. Uh, right. And, and, and we'll go into some other stories here. I'm about to tell you another one on the infamous jury court scam. But with that, we're going to end this uh, segment of the Safe Senior Hour, and we'll be back. Before we totally get away, uh, I wanted to remind everybody that this Wednesday at the Rotunda, the Capitol Rotunda, downtown, everyone is invited to the induction of 15 more veterans into the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. It'll be at 2 o'clock, and it's quite... And they they do suggest that you bring your own Kleenex. They can't supply the Kleenex. So it is a very, very moving ceremony. And they normally do it in Columbus, but uh, this time they're going to be doing it in the Rotunda. It'll be the first time you can view the new pictures of other veterans that have been inducted that are will be hanging in the rotunda as well and you can also walk across the street to the floyd building 
where the organization's main headquarters are. So everyone's invited this Wednesday. It um, If you need to clean out your tear ducts, I guarantee you will. So we'll be back right after this. My name is Mike Mizell. I'm a retired Army colonel and president of the Johns Creek Veterans Association. We meet in Newtown Park, and part of one of our projects is the installation of the Healing Wall, the half-scale model of the Vietnam Wall that traveled the United States. Well, it's coming to rest, and it's going to live in Johns Creek forever, the half-scale model. We're looking at a possibly a march implementation ribbon cutting ceremony and we're looking for donors and sponsors that want to help us in this great project you can donate at jcvets.org the disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Well, welcome back here to our, our uh, third uh, segment here of the Safe Senior Hour. Um, remember, elder abuse doesn't report itself. Uh, if you want more information about our group, uh, we're on uh, Facebook, and you can look at North Georgia Elder Abuse Task Force Foundation. We have a uh, uh, Facebook, and you can see some of the meetings we're at and uh, and some of the areas that, that we're working on. Um, our group um, has, and Jason and Kim are a big part of it, we hold monthly meetings in metropolitan Atlanta for for law enforcement, regulatory people to get together and exchange ideas, learn about investigative techniques. Your multiple disciplinary task force works specific cases, basically. That's that's the difference. And one is more policy, kind of talking in general about how we function as agencies together, common themes among cases. Are we seeing a scam that crops up and, and folks can share about it? And then the MDT would be an active individual case. Right, So, which is great. And we're trying to get those. Actually, there is a law in the state of Georgia which encourages MDTs by judicial districts. And I think, well, how many, I don't even know how many do we have here, 40? 49 in the state of Georgia, judicial districts. It's in the 40s, and, so. and, and I'm on the spot, I don't remember the number myself either, Joe. And I can also say here, of course, David's from Texas, and what, that's the definition of big, but Georgia's the biggest state east of the Mississippi, and we have 159 counties. That's 159 sheriffs and, and 159 different you know governmental entities, so you can see how big uh, it is here. I have... Uh, 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 so when the issue is brought up, it affects everybody all over the state here in many ways, and that's why we try to bring everybody together. 
one of the issues we talked about before we, we went to our break was the way um, loved ones or family members um, get were able to get a hold of finances or be able to to uh, misappropriate money of the seniors or elderly. And one of the biggest ways, which is always misunderstood, is a power attorney. And if you all could just talk about that, I think that would really be helpful to our uh, our listeners. So a power of attorney is a voluntary giving of your rights to someone else. Uh, Throughout the course of your life, there are time periods when probably everybody has – done that on some point or may need to do that. Um, If you're in the military uh, and you're going abroad, you may give somebody who's at home power of attorney so they can manage your affairs, pay your rent, manage if you've got a house or a condo or whatever it may be. Um, So that's a common way. Um, It's very often used in real estate um, where you're going to give somebody the authority to sign on your behalf um, for a a transaction. Maybe um, you want both the husband and wife to be present or, or, or to sign on the documents, but only one can be present for closing, so you'll give power of attorney to sign, so th- that sort of thing. What you are voluntarily by contract, and that's all a power of attorney is. It's a contract saying I contractually give my right to make decisions to another person, and because it's a contract, it can be canceled. You you are voluntarily giving it to someone, so you can voluntarily rescind it and take that back. And in fact, you don't lose your rights by signing a power of attorney with someone else. Um, so uh, sometimes our, our seniors um, are believe that they no longer have the right to make some decisions about their finances because they've made son, grandson, uncle, whatever it may be, a power of attorney. That's not true. And the power of attorney can be spe- for specific actions, not broad, general, where you can go out and, and, and just spend money. They come in all shapes and sizes. Um, and, and in fact, we often advise people, if you're going to do a power of attorney, talk to a private attorney to get some advice about it. Uh, There are a lot of them out there. If you look up elder law attorneys, some of them will give you free consultations. Um, Find somebody, talk to them, and make sure what you are doing is right for you. People like to download these things off the Internet um, and uh, make their changes. Um, In Georgia, we have, in the past few years, there was the, the legislature passed what's called the Uniform Power of Attorney Act. A number of estates have signed on to that so that there's some uniformity about what's required in the documents to make them official and functioning, and they're going to include things to advise you about um, the risks and dangers of a power of attorney, because that's the flip side, right? Is you are giving someone the authority to act on your behalf, um, which is great if they're acting in your best interest, but sometimes they don't act in your best interest. Now, the, the question comes up, and, and, and again, and you've all experienced this in your cases, of uh, some examples of how the abuse of power of attorney has been handled. And on the other side, people say, well, if I'm doing the work, shouldn't I be able to get paid for it? So can you all address that and what you've seen and, you know, and uh, abuses? Well, the power of attorney does not give the person the power to take all your money and spend it however they want. The, you're giving them authority to act on your behalf and in your best interest. They still have to act in your best interest, and I think a lot of people don't don't think about that or don't do that or abuse it. Or abuse it absolutely. And and that's the key thing there, Joe. Is as we say, um, once you give that authority to someone, it, as long as everything's hunky dory, and it's a great vehicle, it's very convenient for folks. It works so that um, you can have someone who maybe they don't live in this state, um, they're paying your bills, um, and as long as they're and have access to your bank accounts and sort of checking on that thing, and if if somebody um, is doing the right thing, that can be very beneficial for somebody who maybe is experiencing some health difficulties or other sorts of things where they want that assistance. Um, but what we sometimes see is, um, well, uh, and it, it might begin as simple as, um, as you said, well, I, I've been doing this work for you this month, so I'm going to take an extra 100 bucks for myself, right? Or um, the, the more difficult ones for us to, are, to untangle would be, well, you've made the, maybe the power of attorney for your finances, so I'm going to move all of your money into my bank account so that it's easier for me to just mm-hmm. manage it all in one. And then it becomes harder to, to disentangle because what they're going to say is, oh, I didn't steal the money. It's it's still your money. It's just not where you 
put it before, but you gave me the authority to do that. And they'll move the money around to different but, accounts. But I think the point you made, you haven't lost your authority to get it. And once it goes in the other account, you've lost your authority it, to, to access it unless you're on that account also. And, and that's why I say they're harder for us to disentangle on the law enforcement side because we have to figure out then what's really going on. And we have lack of information once it's been moved around in different places. Well, I, I, and I'm familiar with it, with a matter where somebody was made power of attorney and their defense was, well, you know, I have to go and get groceries and I have mm-hmm. to get things. So they went out and bought a $72,000 uh, Chevy Silverado pickup truck. Well, the the, the, the seniors who, who gave had no intention of that. You know, because the 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 not the I think it was a Ford one fifty that they had was, was good enough. This is not to improve somebody's lifestyle; it's to help the senior. Correct. And some of the difficulty that we sometimes experience with these cases is we will have seniors where someone else in the family kind of recognizes what's going on. They'll see the sudden new shiny mm-hmm. truck, and they'll report to APS. And, and we've got to disentangle some of that family dysfunction. We, we very often have seniors at the beginning will say, but I'm okay with my grandson um, having some – it's okay. I, I love him, and, and, and he wouldn't um, he wouldn't take advantage of me. And then you start showing them the bank accounts and saying, well, would you owe Okay, um, you know, two hundred dollars. Well, two hundred dollars. I, I wish he had asked me first, but it's okay. It's like, well, what about twenty thousand? Oh, he'd never do that. And you'll show them. Right. Oh, good grief, he did do that. And and you kind of get this shift sometimes um, in their own understanding about what's going on because that's kind of what happens sometimes is people sort of take their hands off the wheel of their own finances and they don't realize how much is being well, taken. I'm sure you've seen also the uh, defenses. It's going to be my money anyway. I'm going to inherit it. I might as well spend it now. Mm-hmm. All right? Have you you heard that? Absolutely heard that. I have definitely heard that. <laughs> I, you know, ridiculous. Ha- you know, it is ridiculous. But that's some of the the, 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 the arguments they put out. And in one of the matters up there, through the power of attorney, they cleaned out this, this woman's account. She had a huge settlement from an accident. Went in, cleaned it out. Bought new trucks for 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 everybody in the family, and went all the way down the nieces and nephews, and gave out this is the money to take care of this woman who has been partially mm-hmm. handicapped and has a start of dementia. It's just a horrible situation, all under the the, the idea that we're going to get it anyway. So, you know, horrible. So uh, a, a a case comes to mind. It, it uh, wasn't a senior per se, but it was somebody who was disabled. The the person was actually an attorney, but they got sick and they were anticipating that they were going to have a very, very serious surgery um, and they may not make it. So, in fact, they went into a coma and mm-hmm. and were difficult. So they made a friend, their power of attorney, to manage their assets during their um, health crisis. Um, Thinking, you know, there's a good chance I'm not going to make it, but they'll go ahead and handle my affairs. Well, so what did the power of attorney do? Well, they they went ahead and jumped the gun. They sold their house, cleaned everything out, and the guy made it. Thankfully, right, he recovered right. from his – I mean, it was it – was, uh, he was still very sick and had dialysis and all sorts of th- things. But he made it, and he went back. He's like, all right, I, I, like, I want to go back to my house. And the guy had sold everything out from underneath him. That was one of our cases. We had to prosecute that guy. Unbelievable. I, I, you know, you hear these cases, and it's just like, how could somebody do that to a senior? It's just, it, 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 it's, it's just amazing. And, and, and you and you look at it, and it's, and these aren't isolated. These are all over. It's just a matter of again, we have we have two of the experts here. You have the police out there. But there's not enough to cover all the seniors. That's why we need your help in reporting, you know, any type of abuse, whether it be physical, uh, institutional, which we haven't addressed yet, or uh, uh, financial. And, and again, nobody expects you, when you report it, to do the investigation. That's what, these, that's what the professionals are here for. So I think, I think, as you can see here, things happen. And our whole idea is let's get it in the hands of the professionals to direct it, and hopefully that they will be able to address the issue. So with that, we will end end this segment, and we'll we'll take a break at uh, of the Safe Senior Hour. 
Want to give your family or loved one the perfect gift? Then go online and check out the TornadoBodyDryer.com. I love mine and the warm heat air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it and you'll love having one in your shower. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs, the number if four, patientcarefoundation.org. And with ideal solutions donation is here to help. And join the Whether fight you're a small business owner, us. individual family, or baby boomer, email me. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to uh, the last segment of uh, the Safe Senior Hour. Again, we have very fortunate to have two guests here that uh, have been very enlightening in uh, discussing elder abuse. One is Assistant District Attorney Jason Marbit and Investigator uh, Kim Izaza uh, with the Cobb County District Attorney's Office. And we were just discussing issues uh, uh, before the break on power of attorney and and how it can be abused. And again, we could just uh, go over again. If you put it in, you can take it back, correct? 100%, Joe. 100%. And that, that's important. Now, we talk about power of attorney, but there's also a way... In most states, and I'm sure I'm sure in every state, but in, and and probably in other countries, where you can do it more through a judicial movement through probate. Can you go through that? I know there's a guardianship and conservator conservative conservatorship. So, um, and it's going to vary from state to state. So, you know, people should be sure to check their state's laws. And this is something that you absolutely want to consult consult a civil attorney with. Um, but. Uh, there are the other method by which your decision-making authority is, um, I guess, uh, shifted to someone else is through guardianship or conservatorship. Um, but that is involuntarily. It's involuntary. So a power of attorney, you voluntarily give someone the, that right. So that means that you voluntarily can take it back. You rescind it. You don't lose it. In a guardianship or conservatorship situation, a court has decided that you are not capable of making decisions for yourself. And so the court will take the authority away from you. It's something that um, can be abused. I've seen stories in other states. I think there was a big story last year about um, the practices in Nevada, and it had become um, too easy to do so, and a lot of seniors had been abused because their authority had been taken away. So I think that it's important. We In Georgia, a probate judge would be the judge that would be making that decision. Right. There's a probate judge in every county in this in the state of Georgia. And essentially, you make a filing. Somebody file, uh, and uh, Adult Protective Services can theoretically do that, although I would say I'm unaware of Adult Protective Services actually following through on, on doing that. We've, we've certainly never seen it. Most often, it's a family member who is a filing in court, or you can voluntarily go to court and file on your own to say, Judge, I've just been diagnosed with this progressive disease. Right now I'm of sound mind, but I anticipate that I'm going to lose it and I want to go ahead and get it in place. People have done that before to voluntarily have um, that taken. But ultimately, a judge will hear evidence, have a hearing, 
make a determination. They're going to get some experts, some um, medical experts involved to make some determinations as to whether somebody's has lost capacity to make their own decisions for themselves. And if they have, then the court will have some modicum of oversight, but it's not tremendous. They will essentially, if it's a conservatorship, that's financial decision making. Guardianship would be um, more. It's not. It's the uh, the stuff that's not financial. So where do you live? Uh, if you if you need to go into some sort of facility, um, if you're going to live with your aunt or your uncle or whoever else. And healthcare decisions. Healthcare decisions. That's right. Um, but uh, those two vehicles are going to put those um, uh, decision making. Uh, that's going to put the decision making with a guardian or a conservator. Sometimes it's the same person. Sometimes you can have different people. Sometimes you could just have a conservatorship. Sometimes the higher um, higher uh, decision making, higher function decision making, the ability to make financial decisions might be the first thing to go. But you can still make decisions about where you want to live um, and who you um, want to spend your time with. Healthcare decisions, but you might not have the ability to um, distinguish finances and, and handle that meticulous stuff. So, so we talked about the two. We talked about power of attorney, and we talked about how it's done judicially through the courts. Um, the other point we we talked about, we did touch a little bit on, on physical abuse, uh, but certainly financial abuse we talked about. But let's just talk about institutional abuse. Some of the things that, that, that people should look at should report and, and that, that might have led to cases or led to an investigation. Can you both address that, things that, uh, that would, would raise red flags to you all? Sure. Um, we have bruises that are unexplained or staff can't explain, um, or there, a loved one might have spent several hours on the floor without anyone coming to check on them. Um, we did have a case where a caregiver was accused of assaulting an elderly patient who soon died a few days later. And I was really struck. Someone in the gallery at a trial said well, this man was old anyway. He was going to die pretty soon. <laughs> and you just think, but he I mean, that's not your decision to make. Right, and right. And certainly a harming another individual, I just don't know how people So, So who, who are you encouraging to report these, to report this information? Anybody who sees it. Well, or well, suspects it. Well, and I, I, maybe this answers your question, Joe, d- differently if this is what you're going for. There's a different regulatory agency. So if you are outside of a facility, the state agency would be Adult Protective Services. Right. Inside of facilities, we have another agency. It's called Healthcare Facility Regulation. It's I in imagine Georgia. It's, a, this, it's right. in Georgia. Um, I imagine and, and have talked with prosecutors from other states, so I think it's common to have two different agencies which might govern those sorts of things. Um, but healthcare facility regulation is responsible for the licensure of facilities, and so they are also then responsible for the oversight of what goes on in those facilities. And they are actually, um, for Georgia, a, 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 I guess a dual-funded agency. Um, they will receive state funds from the state of Georgia, but they are also a CMS. I'm blanking on what CMS stands for. That's the federal agency which um, would provide health care funding. So they federally, the feds would give money to HFR here in Georgia, and they have similar federal responsibilities for oversight of these agencies which receive Medicare funding. So just, it, just because I can, because <laughs> I can. Uh, have you ever, has a case ever become a homicide? Yes, sir. And you've charged them with murder? Or? Yes, sir. Good. I, and I think people should know this, that uh, uh, a nursing home, uh, assisted living situation where someone is abused and or beaten, that the person responsible, you know, just my opinion, actually I get this from my younger son when my mother was in assisted living and so forth, and, you know, would come in and she'd have these horrendous uh bruises on her arms or this or that and and uh, my younger son said let's put cameras in here well the technology then was not what it is today but i think every place in the in a nursing home or in assisted living or at the veterinary every place should have a uh, lots of cameras and record everything that's going on 
it, it's interesting that you mentioned that and you mentioned cameras. Um, that is, it, there is, there, in fact, there are two cases that we are aware of that are up on appeal right now with the Georgia Court of Appeals, and we're kind of waiting to see what the ruling is. There's a debate going on as to whether or not people can do that or not do that in Georgia. Um, I've read the statutes, and I'm of the legal opinion that um, that if it's to detect crime, so if it's to protect someone, that you would have the authority in the privacy of your room. I think that there are some folks who um, would have a different opinion, a different legal opinion about that, and we certainly are uh, sorting through some of those issues. And you can imagine if you're the healthcare facility, sometimes they're going to have some different opinions about whether or not people can put those nanny cams, is what they're kind of called, up in their private rooms. It's, a, it's an ongoing issue and, and debate, I think, right now in the legal community. You know, for... The, unless it's changed, and maybe it has, but when my mother was involved with it and we were involved, they were not free. And for the, I'm sure now they're much less expensive than they were back 15, 20 years ago, I doubt. Uh, and if you're paying for it, I should be able to, I paid for this. We have cameras everywhere, you know. Not for that we're concerned about somebody walking in, but we're concerned about when we walk out who comes in you know and if i'm paying for it you know it's sort of like uh you know you think that you're paying for your home well no the mortgage company owns a home you're just paying them rent on it more or less uh you know 200 years you may own your home if you get lucky (laughs) but i put i have i have a hell of a security system in my home right uh, because of situations of some of our programming all so you know I think, in fact, if I went in today into the situation like with my mother, if a facility wouldn't let me have them, then I'd tell them where to stick it and walk out the door. And and it w- it's nice that you, I mean, I, a lot of folks feel like sometimes, though, that they're, they're desperate for whatever facility they have. Um, because I think there's probably a greater demand for bed space than there is bed space very often. So I think people kind of end up in these binds. But I, that makes that's I think to, that's a perfectly rational viewpoint that I think that I would have if I were in that situation as well. If you're not going to allow me to set up a camera so I can check in on you, I, good grief! I've done that with my kids in daycare. Our daycare has set that up, and I I used to love that. Not because I thought my daycare was hurting my kids. Sometimes I just want to see what what are my kids up to about right now. I'm thinking about them, and it's the same sort. Sort of thing. If I have a facility which doesn't allow that or has a problem with that, it makes me wonder what are they trying to hide. You know, uh, taking it one step further, and I didn't mean to butt into you, show no, Joe. No, this but, is uh, fun. Uh, the other thing, in my opinion, it ain't going to get any better until you have better people, and you're not going to have better people until you can pay more. And it's not a little bit pay more; it's a lot pay more, and and unfortunately, with the folks that are available to work in assisted living and, uh, well, nursing homes get a little bit better, I guess, but mm-hmm. in the assisted living and all this, um, I don't want to do it, uh, you know, and you get you get what you pay for. I, I've, I've said this to people before, and I recognize that as well. I think we did a case recently where we realized that the defendant was making, um, he was a caretaker. Uh, and was making $10 an hour. Um, Look, I love the elderly. I want to protect the elderly. You couldn't pay me $10 an hour to go change someone who was incontinent. I I am not that person. I would rather go, um, I say flip burgers. There are tons of other things I would rather do than do that. We need people to do that, though. And you're exactly right. It it sort of becomes this push-pull of you're not if you're not if you're only paying them that amount of money what sort of folks are you getting um, and and I wish that the folks who were getting in that would not put themselves in positions to be stressed out or um, to, to treat people poorly because they're also thinking well you're only paying me ten bucks an hour so what do I care well the you know and and you have two situations you get the one scene when you walk through the facility as a family at <laughs> at two in the afternoon or even if you eat lunch with them or four or five o'clock in the evening but a whole different so you might say it's night and day uh and at night 
things can change rapidly and things do change rapidly. The only other thing, and, and maybe you all can answer this, because, Joe, I don't know, you haven't brought it up, or, or I haven't ever heard it anyway, but besides the... Uh, the personnel and and paying a better paying better wages do you do you all know of anything and damn with the technology we have why can't we come up with the perfect robot or the perfect this Mm. or the perfect that that can is not paid maybe they're only paid a dollar an hour but they virtually do some if not all of the same thing that we're paying ten dollars an hour for that's at some place why isn't technology coming in and and playing a role in elderly care I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, I, I, I get out. No. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I honestly don't know. I mean, I, I, we certainly, and and I will say this: I don't want it to get the sense that I, um, we have a lot of really good facilities and good people. Um, but clearly that this is a this is a problem. It's a burgeoning problem. I think there've been a lot of things that have been written recently in the news right. about it here in Georgia. Um, it, it's a problem. Well, uh, we've we really had some interesting topics. We hope you two come back. And we can go into more areas. I thought what David just addressed, I did see some articles are trying to do that, but it's not the personal care. It's the, just things in the hospital. But with that, and um, we're going to end today's session. Thank you. Thank our guests for coming. And remember, elder abuse doesn't report itself. And, and again, this is Joe Gavallis with the Safe Senior Hour. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.